Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for watching us or listening to us, depending on what platform you are consuming this content on. That's a good way of saying that. That works. That's new. Um, <laughs> keeping it fresh. Keeping it fun. All right. My name is Bruce Johnson. I'm joined here in the wonderful state of South Dakota with my good friend, Joseph Lasseter. Hello. And we are joined by my brother, Jacob Johnson, back in Pennsylvania. Hello. All right. We got, we got a full crew. Full crew. We're all back together again. Very exciting. Um, we would love to hear from you, though. Um, we we, we want to know who you are. If you're listening to the show, we'd love to hear from you. So go to our inbox, um, trdshow at protonmail.com. Send us an email. We'd, we'd love to hear from you and what you think of the show, what you'd like to hear from us in the future, and what you think about what we've been talking about. We'd love, again, to hear from you. I'm a broken record, but I've found that if I'm not a broken record, people don't send us emails. So I'm going to keep being a broken record until I get until I get emails. So So here we go again. Send us some emails. That would be cool. Okay. <laughs> but actually, this is a lot easier to do now. If you don't like feel like opening your inbox, you know, you can go to trdshow.net, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and we've got a lovely little contact form for you to send us a message that way as well. So we just really, really want to hear from our audience. So send us a message through our website, trdshow.net, or go to our inbox, trdshow at protonmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We have a lot of announcements. But also, we want to encourage you all to go to our pro-First Amendment platforms. That includes Gab, Gab TV, Rumble, and now we are on Getter. Uh, Getter.com, G-E-T-T-R, brand new account there. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But follow us on all our pro-First Amendment platforms. We really want to um, see you on platforms that will not censor us. So you want to say something, Joe? Yeah, what's Getter? What's Getter? Getter is, um, I think it's like a Twitter alternative. It seems oh. to be very popular right now. I think it... I think Trump started it last year or his foundation organization started it last year. It's a really cool platform. It's really well done. The graphics are nice. You get notifications for content, which is something that unfortunately Gab doesn't have because Gab got kicked out of the app stores. Um, I think it's really cool. Follow us on Getter. That would be neat. Uh, but we also have to, uh, there's four announcements, a lot of announcements. I'm going to get through them in less than five minutes. So here we go. Here we go. Somebody time me. Ready, and here we go. <laughs> okay, first announcement is our cross-politic event. We talked about this last week on the show, but I need to uh, reiterate. Um, register as soon as possible for this event. We'd love to see you here in Rapid City on April 7th um, for our cross-politic event. They had this event here last year, but we're going to have it uh, for a second year in a row. This is the flyer. Really cool-looking flyer, by the way. Uh, we're going to have some awesome guests. We've got, uh, let's see, Gary DeMar, Larry Elder, John Branion, and the entire cross-politic team, including uh, Pastor Toby Sumter. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely check us out. Go to crosspolitic.com slash liberty tour, and that's where you can register for the event. Click on the register here button underneath the second show, uh, which is Christianity, Liberty, and Politics. Um, if you've never heard of CrossPolitik before, first of all, you're missing out on some awesome content. Go to CrossPolitik.com. But um, for those of you who haven't heard of it, here's a brief description from their website of, of CrossPolitik. So from according to them, CrossPolitik is a community of Christians who desire to see the lordship of Christ in every corner of our culture, reigning over every politician and changing every individual for our good and his glory. So CrossPolitik event, April 7th here in Rapid City, South Dakota. Go to CrossPolitik.com slash Liberty Tour. Go ahead, Joe. 
And we will be there with our own table yes. and have our own oh, merch yeah. there. Yep. And we're emceeing, so you'll be able to see yes. us more than one occasion. Hosted by the Reformed Dissenters. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Come meet us. We are also on Getter. We just talked about that a little bit ago. Go to getter.com, G-E-T-T-R, G-E-T-T-R.com, slash user, slash TRD show. Or, you know, better yet, it's just easier. Why don't you go to our website, trdshow.net, and click on the Getter link on our homepage. It's just easier that way. We have a brand new referral program, trdshow.net slash refer. The only way to get merch from us right now is to go to trdshow.net slash refer. You can start earning points towards free merch. Not only can you get merch, you can get it for free. Go to trdshow.net slash refer to start earning some referral points and earn your way to free merch today. We're giving away stickers, giving away free mugs, giving away free t-shirts, all kinds of exciting stuff there. Go to trdshow.net slash refer. Finally, our last announcement. See, I, I knew I'd get through this in less than five minutes. I think we're doing pretty well. Our brand new newsletter. Newsletter, woo! Head over to trdshow.net, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and enter your email to start to uh, sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll be sharing content updates, literature quotes, and more to come in the future. Definitely, you really want to get signed up for our newsletter. We got all sorts of cool stuff. And if you missed an episode, this is a good way to recap it because our newsletter will have a recap of everything we talked about in that episode. So sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net. Basically, anything cool we talk about on the show, it's probably on trdshow.net. So just... Just head over there and sign up for an account. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. All right. Our theme this month is effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us. And that works out really well, actually. And uh, we timed it this way, kind of on purpose, kind of not, but mostly on purpose. Um, we have a brand new guest on the show today, which is very exciting. And actually, he's not on the show today. What we did was record a clip last week of an interview with him. And unfortunately, Jacob wasn't able to make it. So we tried to work around everybody's schedules due to scheduling conflicts. It was a little tricky, but we managed it to have Jacob on the show with us today, which is awesome. But we also got in our interview last week, which was the only time our guest could make it. And our guest this week is Evan Grimm, who's a missionary in Alaska. So you definitely don't want to miss that uh, interview that we had with him. Um, it's a very, very cool interview. Had some very cool discussions with him. So that's going to replace our current events segment for today. After that interview, we're going to get into our literature of the month. And this month, our literature is always ready by Dr. Greg Bonson. Um, so we read chapters, oh my goodness, what did we do? Chapters 6 through 12, I think, 7 through mm -hmm. 12. So and I included the last chapter this time. So I know it's the recap chapter, but I actually remembered to include it. So woohoo. But before we get to all of that stuff, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is Proverbs chapter 15, verses 32 through 33. And it says... Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who gains, uh, I'm sorry, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. And that's Proverbs 15 verses 32 through 33. So we are really going to be talking a lot more about this in the literature segment, but I'll give you just a, a taste of what we're going to talk about with this verse. This is a really important verse to remember, and it talks about something that's absolutely vital uh, to remember in our conversations with unbelievers. When we are talking about apologetics and giving an answer, a reason, uh, an answer for the hope that lies within us, right? Um, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. So that's step one. Where does true wisdom come from? The fear of the Lord. And humility comes before 
honor, humility, right? Whoever ignores instruction, which means that they're willing to be instructed, they're willing to learn, they're willing to admit that they are wrong and that they need to learn more or that they don't know everything and they need to learn more, right? Whoever ignores instruction, who doesn't do that, who doesn't have the attitude of constantly learning from others and the word of God, despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Um, humility and, and, and putting yourself in that attitude, that mindset that you have a lot to learn from the word of God. We all do. Having that humility, um, having that, that um, attitude of listening to reproof. He who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So we need to always be conscious of the mindset that we're in um, and ensure that we're, we're, we're listening to the people around us. We're listening to instruction. We are, are, are humble. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in the literature segment. So you definitely want to stick around for that. All right. So without further ado, we're going to roll the clip and we're going to play our interview from last week with Evan Grimm. Enjoy. All right, so I'm here um, with our guest today for our episode, um, Evan Grimm, and uh, we've been, uh, Evan's an old friend of mine from quite a few years ago, and I uh, reached out to him a couple months ago and um, asked him if he would be interested in being a guest on our show, and he said yes, which is very cool, and uh, when I was asking about, you know, what sorts of topics he might want to discuss, and we had a, a whole layout of, of topics we were going to talk about in the future on the show. And he mentioned apologetics. And so since that's our theme this month, we are talking about effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us. Um, seemed like a really good time to have Evan Grimm on the show. So uh, Evan, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, so a little bit of background. I'll, I'll give a little bit of background on the biography you sent me, but feel free to uh, interpose here and add a little bit. I'd love to discuss some of these uh, things with you as well after I'm done. Uh, but Evan is a commercial pilot and aircraft mechanic, providing aviation, construction, and mechanical services to missionaries in the state of Alaska. Uh, he's a member of World Outreach Ministries and works with multiple ministries in Alaska. And he and his wife, Addie, are involved in a part-time uh, work, uh, in part-time work to help cover uh, physical expenses while remaining flexible for cause, uh, calls of urgent ministry need. So a lot there. Um, would you classify yourself as essentially a, a missionary? I would say that uh, pretty much the, the work that I do is a diaconal ministry. So um, not, not entirely going out and reaching out to a whole bunch of people, but mostly helping people that are already doing that type of work. Um, so I, I go in and help missionaries that are set up in the village um, and have work that need to be done so that they can live efficiently and continue their, their ministry work. Um, and then also my wife and I are involved in multiple uh, outreach type stuff here in Fairbanks, uh, close to where we live. Wow. <clears throat> so cool. we are actually with a lot of people too. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And we'd love to talk a little bit more about that as, as, uh, as we go on. So very cool. Um, I, I did just want to, you know, mention, you know, you mentioned you were a commercial pilot and aircraft mechanic. Um, just wanted to briefly touch on that. Cause that's, 
that's really cool. That's that's such a huge, um, huge topic and wanted to kind of discuss that just a little bit. But, you know, a couple months back on the show, we were talking about finding a job you can love and how part of, um, you know, we talked about God being in control of the individual, the family, the church, and the civil government, those four governments, and how he has uh, specific uh, commands for each of those governments. And when we were talking about the individual, we were talking about, you know, devotion to God above all else, but also talking about how to find a job you can love. So let us in a little bit on, on how you found aircraft and how you found being a commercial pilot. I mean, that doesn't seem to be uh, something a lot of people just come up with. So what, what kind of led you there? Yeah, so first, actually, I'll give a little background on my family. So um, nobody in my family was involved in aviation at all. Oh, wow. Um, I think the the closest that I had was I had a grandfather during World War II that worked on, um, like, creating uh, uh, airfields for the United States Army. Wow. Um, So that's, like, the closest thing that my family had to anybody involved in aviation. Um, But when I was six years old... Uh, the church that we were attending at the time, they were having me do some uh, memorization of, of Bible. And as a reward for the memorization that I completed, one of the elders took me out and, and flew with me. Oh, wow. And that kind of hooked me on aviation. And then I started to read stuff on like uh, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and stuff like that. And those oh, people yeah. really used a lot for, for what they were doing. And that kind of put me on the track more of missionary aviation. Um, and then I think age 14, yeah, age 14, I went to a camp called Brigade Air. And it's basically an introduction for people that are interested in aviation mission, like mission-minded aviation. And uh, they, they provide free flights for, you know, whoever is there. I think I got like five hours of flight time and was able to interact with some of the mission teams that were in the Ohio area because there's, uh, there's uh, let me see here, MMS Aviation, and they do mostly mechanical stuff. Um, so I got a little bit into that, and then uh, when I came back, I started flight training, and I got my private pilot uh, certification at age 17. Um, and during that time, I also in like I, uh, I, I had an apprenticeship with the local uh, aircraft mechanic. I, I apprenticed with him for a summer, and that kind of got me a little bit into the mechanical side. And then I went through training um, in college. I went to a technical school, and 24 months of school brought me brought me out with uh, a commercial pilot certification and uh, aircraft mechanic certification. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, Joe is over here. Uh, when you <laughs> when you mentioned the technical college, he's going for electrical trades. Electrical trades, yeah. So so he's very much into the uh, technical t- college uh, area. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool. Totally. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing. So um, one of the topics that, uh, you know, that you had on the list that you wanted to discuss today was practical ways of sharing the gospel for the everyday Christian. So, um, you know, I I think behind this, I'm sure, and I'd love to get your uh, motivation for this as well, but I, I can think of behind this, I would be thinking that, well, you know, missionaries obviously are out there evangelizing, they're out there spreading the gospel. Um, and that's great, but not everyone's called to be a missionary, right? So I'm 
part of my motivation for wanting to discuss this and I'm not sure what cheers are, but I'd love to hear about that. You know, what can the average everyday Christian do to help uh, evangelize, to help spread the gospel? So you want to kick off this conversation and were there any specific things that you wanted to mention and talk about? Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, it's pretty easy for uh, people to kind of take a back seat and think like, oh, the job of a pastor or a missionary is to go out and evangelize peace, people. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I don't see that as a healthy thing because um, all of us are supposed to have an answer for the hope that's within us. Yes. So yep. um, also it, we need to be able to show that we have hope. And and that will open people's hearts to, um, you know, if there is somebody that's going to be sharing more directly with them. Um, so I think that's that's mostly what I'm thinking. And then there's, you know, when you're interacting with people just as friends, there's so many little opportunities that come up. Um, mm. There's just kind of like openings and conversations and stuff, especially if you develop a pretty deep friendship with people. Mm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and I think a huge part of that is just, you know, last month we were talking about being salt and light in culture, right? And salt is that preserving factor, but the light aspect of that is you, you stand out, you're, you're different, right? The way that you live is different. Your principles and and precepts are, are different. And so that in and of itself, the way that we look at the world, the way that we work in the world to help others, that I think is is a huge way that the everyday Christian um, with the right worldview, a biblical worldview, can evangelize um, without actively going out and doing what you and, and other missionaries are, are doing or, or pastors, like you said. So, yeah. Anything you wanted to, to add to that, Joe? Not at the moment. All right. <laughs> Very cool. You, um, you kind of covered the salt and light aspect. I mean, you don't have to be a missionary to go overseas. Hmm. Just be, living your daily life as uh, a Christian yeah. is a impact of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was actually something that we were highly encouraged when we were in um, – because I went to a missionary aviation technical school hmm. and we were highly encouraged while we were still in training to get involved with churches or ministries in that area oh, just nice. so that we had more experience of like what to actually expect and look for when we're going into the mission field um, just to be able to interact with people. And, and really like, although the work that I do is mostly diaconal work, um, it's also, uh, you know, it's people. The whole mm. the whole purpose is people. Yes. So um, it's really important to be able to interact with people, even if you're not necessarily, like maybe you're going out to a, um, going into a, a mission situation and you're only going to be doing maintenance stuff. You're still interacting with people. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Very good. Uh, very good topics to discuss. Um had a bit of technical difficulty there, but we're back now. All right, here we go. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, thinking about all the different ways that you can be, um, you can be light, you can be salt, and and what that looks like from a biblical perspective, I mean, that's kind of 
the whole point of our show and what we've really been trying to get at. I mean, Matthew 513 is our, is our key verse, you know, be salt and light. Um, so discussing these sorts of things is, is really important. So, uh, anything either of you wanted to add before we move on to the next topic? So we heard about you getting more into aviation side. How did you get more into the um, ministry side? It's a good uh, question. Unless I skipped and missed yeah. that. <laughs> well, yeah, so um, it was mostly mostly the books that I was reading when I was when I was younger. I was just kind of pointing me into the missionary aviation track. Um, so that's definitely, that's definitely most of the reason why I ended up going there. Also, I made contacts with people that looks like I'm frozen too. Yes. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, oh, there yeah, we go. <laughs> but made contacts with people and, uh, they were like, I, I made contacts with a lot of people that were in missionary aviation and that also, um, kind of channeled me in that direction. Um, but also, uh, I just had a, a desire to help the mission and the goal of sharing the gospel, and that's really that's really what in the end took me there. So, very cool. Yep. Yeah, good question, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, so our our next topic. Um, our next, I guess, theme or subject we want to kind of discuss a little bit is what every follower of Jesus is called to do. So um, I can, you know, guessing at the motivations between this again or behind this, I mean, I should probably just stop guessing, but I'm just applying this to kind of what we've been talking about on the show as well. I mean, um, what should you do essentially if you're not a missionary, right? Like what should every follower do um, in their everyday life? Um and am I kind of getting at like what the what the primary motivation was here, or was there a different uh, tact or, or, or position that you wanted to take? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, where I was going with that, I think I kind of answered that question in our little segment <laughs> before. Yeah, but um, so I, I think I kind of got a little sidetracked actually. <clears throat> but there's really some specific things that, as followers of of Jesus Christ, that we're uh, supposed to emulate and supposed to show. Hmm. Um, and I, I've been reading in, um, I've been reading in, in John and Luke lately. And, uh, you know, there's something that Jesus says is those who based, I'm paraphrasing here, but those who follow me will do works like I do and even greater works than what I do. Well, they'll, they'll do that. And, um, that's, you know, that's oftentimes uh, misunderstood because automatically our brains go to the miraculous of what Jesus did. Oh, um, yeah. But but really, you know, when you look at the works of what Jesus did was it was showing who the father was hmm. and showing and showing the plan of the father. And so um, when we live our life, our, our goal should be to um, give glory to the father, to our father in heaven and that our works would proclaim who he is. So, um, so that's really, that's the goal of every Christian is to bring glory to the father and to show who he is. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, and then on a more practical note, um, just to kind of explain that, you know, if you live a certain way, people eventually start asking questions like, <laughs> well, why don't you, go, why, you know, why don't you go do that? Or, yes. um, or 
or like for for my situation like right now i could be working an aviation job and i could be making like at least double what i make every year (laughs) if not triple what i make every year yeah and so um, there's people that could be like, you know, like, why, why don't you just go and work a normal job? Hmm. And, um, and so like that, you know, there's, there's stuff like that. And then I also take it, um, to some extent that I'm going to be somewhat of an example to the younger generation of Christians below me. Yes. And so I, I, also, I also want to show a life that is devoted, um, to God. That's so, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of your other points that you have written here. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to get to that and uh, get your perspective on that as well. So um, anything that you wanted to add to this discussion before we moved on, Joe, about what every follower of Jesus is called to do? It's hmm. a big I'll, topic. I, I have <laughs> There's a, a lot involved. I have a question, but I'm, I'm just trying to wait for the right time to ask it. Cool. So. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, very cool. So next uh, on the list uh, to discuss is what, why we should be bold in sharing who God is. And I mean, we, we've clearly kind of taken this approach with our show, you know, being, being bold in this. Um, we are called the Reformed Dissenters. So mm-hmm. <laughs> offering, you know, dissenting opinions on things that ordinarily other, you know, most of society says this is the way it should be. And we're saying, no, this is the way that God says it should be over here. We don't really care the way that you say it should be. You know, <laughs> that's what we're, we're dissenting against those popular ideas of society with God's word. So being bold, but the motivations between behind why we should be bold in sharing who God is. Um, so love to discuss that a bit with you. So any, any preliminary thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, something that Jesus said to his disciples was, um, "Look and see that the white the fields are white and they're like ready to harvest, mm. and yep. um, to pray for people to go out into and in, in harvest." Yes, and um, so there's a very vivid um, example there where Jesus is is really um, like he's really encouraging us to go out. And to have confidence as we as we share the truth, mm. um, yeah. And uh, and then on the other side of that, uh, I think it's I think it's pretty easy for us to get um, to get discouraged um, when we start to think like, oh well, I haven't seen this many people come to faith, mm. um, because we're kind of setting like a, a goal for ourselves. And, and really what we need to be faithful in is um, we need to be faithful in following what God has shown us. Yes. And to allow that to be our, our motivation, not necessarily the number of converts that come in, hmm. but the, um, but just the actual obedience and, and devotion that we have um, and are able to um, to show that. Yes. Uh, I feel like I got a little bit sidetracked there, too. So no. what was the, the original <laughs> question? Well, originally, you know, why we should be bold in sharing who God is. And I I think you really addressed that. I mean, part of that is not getting discouraged, you know, and, and, and still remaining bold, even when it kind of looks like we're not succeeding. It's like, well, 
our meter, our measurement of what success is, is, is shifted slightly, right? We're, our, our measure of success isn't always just, oh, I converted this many people. It's, well, am I doing what God has called me to do? And he will use that in ways that I might not even know. Like I might've affected somebody's life and I didn't even know that I, that I had done that, but God used what I was doing for their good, even though I didn't explicitly do that. So yeah, I think that's, that's totally on point. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that as well, something that's really um, been impressed on my heart lately is just like, we have every single reason to be bold. Hmm. Um, we yep. are children, we are children of the most high God. Yes. And so when you think about that, like, that's a pretty, uh, there's, there's not really much that you can say that's against that. Um, when <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's a, it's something that we should really take confidence. In. Absolutely. Um, so, and, I yeah. mean, the great commission, I mean, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, you know, because I have all this authority, because all authority on heaven and in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now, because of that, go forth, share the gospel and yep. make disciples of the nations. You know, like that's that's the, 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 the first part of that that a lot of people forget sometimes is, hey, Christ, the king who is seated on high, has all authority in heaven and on earth and has called us to now go in his name and make disciples of the nations. So yeah, yes, indeed. Um, very cool. All right, Joe, anything you wanted to add before we moved on to our second to last topic? No. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. I was just looking at the topics and I'm thinking my question would fit best at the end. So. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, well, um, next on the list here, you know, how we should be setting a God-honoring example for the younger generation. And you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, and I, I think this is this is really important. I mean, last year, what was it? Uh, I can say last year now, even though it's only been three months. Uh, <laughs> November, I guess it was. We talked about um, education. And we were talking a lot about the dangers and evils of government schools. And that's certainly a big part of it. Uh, but I'd love to to, to hear your take on setting a God honoring example for the younger generation and, and how we can do that. If maybe, you know, we're not, um, we don't have a family, we don't have children. What else can we do to set and help the younger generation? Yeah. Um, I've been reading a book. I've kind of spread it out over the last like six months or probably even more than that now. Um, but it's a, it's a book called book of manly men and could you the repeat that, that one really more time? Sorry, it cut yeah, out. <laughs> it's, it's Mansfield's Book of Manly Men is what it's called. Gotcha. And basically it touches on a bunch of different men throughout history that have um, shown character or um, or uh, courage or boldness, you know, all the, all the different leadership um, examples. Mm. And, um, and it touches on different parts of their life. And something that really kind of is, is in the first part of the book, and it was talking specifically about um, sharing the gospel and de developing a culture of people who are sharing the gospel. Um, it was it was talking about um, some of the uh, church planning that's going on in Africa. Hmm. And there was a church planner that came back, <clears throat> and I'm going to butcher this story because it's been a while <laughs> since I looked at it, but... 
Um, but basically, he came back and he was at a conference and he was talking about all that was going on. And then he was asked by um, some of the people that were there, like, hey, why is this going on there and it's not going on here? Hmm. You know, why, why do we see why do we see um, so many people just answering the call and going and sharing the gospel and living out their faith? And then here we have like really pretty apathetic showing of of people who um, are, you know, going to going to try to go out and do ministry work. But it's pretty apathetic and hmm. and shallow. Yeah. yeah. And um, and he just he just made the point. He was like he was like in America. Um, we try to learn about God, but in Africa, they really worship God. Mm. And that really hit me because it's really easy for us to go and, and learn a whole bunch of information and be able to walk around with it in our head. But to actually apply that, um, is it, you know, it's actually sometimes kind of scary to actually have to apply (laughs) everything that, you know, for Um, sure. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's, it's really kind of a sobering thing, um, because you you really see like when you really start to read God's word and, and see like the things that He really desires for us to do, mm. um, and when you really start to think about that and think about the example that you're showing to other people when you don't do it, yeah, you know you're, you're creating a culture of people that are not following God's word, yeah, um, and and so it's that's kind of uh, yeah I would say it's it's really a cultural thing, yeah, um, totally. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really, you know, that's a really good point. Um, the difference between head knowledge, but then also applying it, but then also a limited worldview, right? Like what we've been talking about on this show, we've been trying to take God's word and apply it to all areas of life. Um, and just like you said, it's, it's, uh, in America, sometimes that, that can be really weak, you know, like we're not actively seeking to do that. You know, we want to, we want to learn about God. We want to know all these theological things, but we don't want to actually apply it. We don't want to worship God with everything we do every single day by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we structure our society. Um, and yeah, I think that's vitally important and you're totally, you're totally right. Tying that into, uh, you know, being an example and, and, and setting that example for other, um, for the younger generations. Yeah. That, because when, when younger generations see from a, a higher level that, oh, this doesn't really mean much to these people, it's not going to be, it's not going to mean that much to them either. You know, if it's not all encompassing, if it's not permeating into every aspect of their life, then yeah, they're, they're, they're going to take it very lightly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so, you're, you're still here, even though the connection is a little bit spotty from Alaska. So <laughs> really glad you're, it's still holding on. So that's good. <laughs> Go so ahead, Joe. since we were talking about our, the topic of our last question, which was what again, uh, how to, how to set a God honoring, honoring example for the younger generation. So whose role do you think it is to raise up, uh, congregant members, family members, um, to be more ministering like, I guess you could say, um, somebody obviously who isn't going to be a, a devout minister being a pastor, so forth and so on. But should the church be more, uh, helping, mm, yeah. uh, the congregate members to being more of the light or should that be more of the family responsibility? What, 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 what's your, that's take? a really good question, Joe. Yeah. Or what's your thought process uh, yeah. on that? 
I would say definitely the primary responsibility is with the parents hmm. of, yep. of the children. Um, that's the absolute God-given responsibility of the parents. Um, but we also see a a responsibility that's given to the old, like the older members of the church, um, and specifically the older men. The, mm. the older men are are um, there's a there's a mentorship that can go on with older men and younger men, and then older women with younger women. We see that dynamic as well. Mm. Um, and yep. so I would that's that's a really really <clears throat> important um, important thing. Um, that, that we don't just have people that, and, and I, th- and I also have to say, this is really challenging now mm-hmm. because people of my generation, um, are so unnecessarily busy. And what I mean by that is they have so much going on, just like they come home and they're completely distracted. Um, and so it's, it's going to be hard for people of the older generation to be able to actually connect with these younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, kids come home and they play video games or whatever, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, but it is, I, I do think it is really a responsibility, um, of, of people in the church. So, uh, Yeah. But I would say I would say very heavily on the parents, but also I, I think the parents should be bringing in people that can mentor their own children, and that also provides a way for the parents to kind of get a little bit of a break too. <laughs> um, yeah, which is important because I I think we see a fair amount of parents that get burnout, hmm. um, and then and then when they get burnout, they become apathetic and just kind of let things slide that shouldn't be let slide. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Really good points. And um, I think, I mean, just adding to that, I mean, I, I think you mentioned um, this as well or something to this effect, but, you know, the church should also be supportive of, of those families that try to do that and, and, and maybe providing opportunities. So whether it's more events that happen during the week so that the church family gets together more, whether it's, it's strengthening that um, uh, fellowship between fellow believers, um, I think that's definitely something that the church can do as well. But ultimately, yeah, the parents are the ones responsible for their, for their own children. So yeah, it's definitely a lot on, on parents' shoulders for that. So yeah, really good points, Evan. Thank you so much. Um, Anything to add before we move on to our last topic? No. I answered my, or I asked my question. All right. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Asked and answered. <laughs> nice. So, um, final topic for the. So this this is kind of what uh, what, you, what you had written uh, for the mission minded, um, talking about steps to take before going to the mission field uh, or starting a nonprofit. So, if someone uh, you know they've kind of gone through the process of of figuring out what God created them to do. They have the gifts. They believe they have the gifts and abilities. They've prayed about this. They believe that they're mission-minded, that God has called them to the mission field to go out and evangelize. What steps to take before going to that mission field or, or starting a nonprofit or doing all the creative things that they can do to start making money to provide for their family while also evangelizing? So take it away, Evan. I'll, I'll leave this right to you. I, I have nothing really to, to add to this perspective. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah. So for somebody that's mission minded, kind of like what I was told when I was in um, aircraft maintenance and, and flight school was just really learn to interact with people and um, learn the word of God to be able to bring that into conversations. Hmm. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because it's so easy for us, again, especially as Americans, to think, like, oh, the mission field is somewhere that I go. Hmm. And really, the, and the problem with that is when you go somewhere, then you're there. Okay? And I think you can probably follow my logic. If you're somewhere... <laughs> Um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go to another, you know, you're there now. Hmm. And so it's not like everything's going to change all at once. Um, so that's a discipline that you need to build into your life. So being able to, to interact with people on a, on a deeper spiritual level is important. Um, I would say on top of that, um, I, I think that there's, uh, especially again, our, our age group, there's, uh, there's a lot of like instant goes on and i think it's really important for somebody goes to the mission to have that uh to be dealing with that um and so what that means is like if you're if you're struggling with something you know if you're struggling with something and you've, it's been beating you for a long time like it's time to go and talk to your church elders about it um and and just ask them for help yeah you know I think it's important to have that taken care of before you go to the mission field. And the reason that I say that is actually, statistically speaking, when people go to the mission field, um, there can be people that have not had. Um, I'll just I'll just talk on a uh, on an example of pornography. There can be people that go to a mission field and are not using at the time, and then because of culture shock they kind of, they fall into a rut and start using it. Mm, yeah. um, and that, that's actually a really common thing. Like the statistics wow. are kind of scary uh, of how often that happens. Wow. Um, so that's something that's being struggled with already. Like it's really important to get help with that before you yeah. go to the mission field because so much, so much happens and really no matter where you go, there is some extent of culture because like I grew up, I was used to being around my family Um my my parents my my family was really close my my uh, grandmother lived right up the road my other grandparents lived in the state all my cousins were pretty close hmm. and so just the idea of like moving to a different state really it's like you're kind of you know you're in a different culture already yeah yep uh, so it's it's really important to uh, to deal with that um, so those would be the two the two real things and well and then also um, develop a really strong prayer life. Hmm. And the reason that I say that as well is because that's something that I did not do very well. Um, and, and it's kind of, you know, I, I'm, I kind of talked about the idea of the mission field and, and stuff like that. Um, but if you don't have a discipline already set, it's actually, it's really hard to build it once you're, once you're serving somewhere. Yeah. Um, then also on top of that, uh, because you're living a life that's partially an example to people, um, at least me, I kind of feel a little bit fraudulent when I start to like dive into something completely like something that's really pretty new to me. Hmm. Um, people watch, you know, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's those those are three things that I would highly encourage before going and becoming mar- part of the uh, mission, the quote unquote mission field, like you know farther out. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the actual day to day nonprofit stuff, um, if somebody's going to start a nonprofit, and I've thought about this for a while, uh, something that I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about you know, starting a nonprofit and, or going somewhere and starting a nonprofit, get some business, business experience. Hmm. Um, and the reason that I say that is because, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, a, a nonprofit, although it is a nonprofit, you really need to know money and you hmm. need to be able to, to know how to make that. Um, so if somebody, you know, it goes like, all right, well, I want to be, you know, at such and such a place, you know, five years from now, what I would tell them is, you know, tell people, you know, when you have a vision for something that you want to do, tell people, you know, five years out or whatever, and just tell them, Hey, this is what I have planned. This is what I'm going to do. But right now I'm doing this, you know, I'm, I'm starting this little, this, you know, service-based business, whatever in between. And that teaches you, that teaches you how to handle money. It teaches Mm -hmm. you about, um, you know, you, you don't want more going out than, than is coming in, and it teaches you to stretch a small amount of money. Yeah. Um, for As an example of that, uh, so my dad was a self-employed. My dad was self-employed, my brother self-employed, oh, yeah. and I kind of grew up with that. So that really, that really kind of set me on a kind of a cool trajectory with that. Um, but a lot of this stuff that happened, I kind of took for granted because mm. – like, because both of them were self-employed, like I didn't have to go look for a job or whatever. I just worked <laughs> right. with them all the time. Yeah. So, but unfortunately I just kind of wrote it off and I was just like, oh, they can, they can do their thing. And I don't really need to think about the, the business side of it. Hmm. But now I can look back and see some of the stuff that they did that I absorbed just by being around them. And it, and it helps me. Wow. Um, That's really cool. And then, and then on top of that, um, on the money side is just learn to live on a small amount. Hmm. Um, cause, uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest, like when you raise support, um, once you go to wherever you're going, even if it's in state, I would say if you're doing a ministry in state, you go and raise support probably within a year, you're probably going to lose at least 25% of the original support that you had. Hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I, yeah, I'd say at least twenty five percent. I think for us, we we lost I think thirty percent in the first year that we were out here. Wow. Um. So, uh, so learning to live on a little bit, and then also to kind of keep keep a and you know keep a perspective on um, your ability to stay in in that location and possibly possibly pick up some work if you need to. Hmm. Um. So for us right now, um, because of some of the the differences that have been that have happened with our support, um, I've been working right now. <clears throat> I was gone. Uh, I was gone for three weeks. I was out at a Bible camp helping out, um, and uh, so I was I was out for three weeks and didn't have any income. And what we've done is everything that comes in uh, that's given to us goes directly to the ministry side. So that goes hmm. to um, flight tickets, flight expenses. Like I, I, I don't fly an airplane in the winter just because of like icing and stuff like that. Um, it's really dangerous up here. 
Um, I can imagine. <laughs> anyway, all that, all that, all that money goes toward something that's ministry uh, oriented, and then, um, and then I make Addie and I both make some money that comes in and helps us to cover our physical expenses. Hmm. Um, so, just for an example of what this looks like, last year we we had uh, roughly thirty thousand dollars come in. Wow. <laughs> And we, we spent $15,000 on ministry expenses. Yeah. Um, and so we, we literally lived off about 1500 a month. Wow. Um, so um, now, on, fortunately for us, we don't have any debt. But when yeah. you factor in uh, health coverage and insurance for vehicles, and we have two vehicles, and then aircraft insurance and mm. s- stuff like that, like, it goes away really fast. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So there's, you know, there's been some, some tight things where you just kind of, you just learn yeah. and got to keep going. Definitely. And, and then for me, like, and, and then for me, like I have to struggle with the decision of, do I go back to lower 48 and uh, raise more support or do I stay plugged in here? Um, because I have a lot going on. So I need yeah. to, you know, for me, I need to stay here and, and pick up some work. Mm. Um, instead of leaving the ministry that I'm involved in. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I would love to chat more with you about this. Unfortunately, we are uh, out of time, but uh, this was a, a wonderful conversation, very interesting perspectives, and, and obviously very interesting to hear about um, life as a missionary and especially life in a, a place like Alaska. So <laughs> I couldn't even imagine that. Um, so thank you very much for, for sharing your perspectives. Um, and, and on the topic of nonprofits and, and, and funding, um, there is a, I'm going to have up on screen right now, a link that Evan shared. If you'd like to help support him and support uh, his ministry, um, and what he's doing up there, you can go to this link. It's also going to be in the description below. So if you're a podcast listener, you can, um, go to the description. Uh, I mean, video listeners as well. I'm not going to short you know, change them. Uh, but go to the description and go to this link and, uh, we'd love it if you could, you know, help, uh, Evan with his, with his ministry. So anything that either of you wanted to add before we wrapped it up? No. All right. We're good. Uh, okay. <laughs> sounds you. good. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much, Evan, for, uh, for joining us and, and offering your perspective on, on a lot of these things. And, um, very exciting to hear about, uh, you know, this whole month we're talking again about apologetics. And so just hearing about the applicable, uh, applicable, the application of these, these theories and these things that we're learning about it is very cool to hear. So thank you so much. And, uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we are, uh, we're, we're back and that was a, that was a really interesting, uh, interesting talk we had with Evan, Evan, um, I'm really, really glad we had the opportunity to do great that. Great points so, you brought up. Great points. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and Jake, we're very sorry you weren't able to make it, but <laughs> we're, we're very excited that you were able to make it for the rest of today's show. So, woohoo. Yeah. All right. And now we're going to move on to our literature segment. So this month we are reading Greg Bonson's book, Dr. Greg Bonson's book, Always Ready. And we read chapter 7 through 12. And oh my goodness, this, he is a, a, you know, I think he has a doctor's of philosophy, something like that. He's a, this guy was, the way that he writes is, is incredible. 
but it's also incredibly hard to understand sometimes. <laughs> there is a lot of content. Joe's over there raising his hand, right? <laughs> I didn't understand half of it, so I'm hoping to learn a lot of yes. and understand from Bruce. So I'm going to be kind of like the audience and not know exactly what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> so Joe is going to be our liaison between Dr. Greg Monson's book and us and then the rest of the audience. So he's going to be the one asking us questions and like, Try to help figure out and ascertain exactly what Dr. Bonson was talking about here. So um, so we've kind of modified our structure for this segment just a smidge so that we could um, bring this stuff up and make it a little more clear for the audience. So, a smidge, I think a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a decent amount. Um, so I'm going to just uh, – the main topics. Let's just uh, give an outline of the main topics, okay? So in these chapters, Dr. Bonson is setting up the conditions within which we should be approaching apologetic conversations. So the conditions, the, the, the condition that we need to be in to approach these conversations. He's further preparing us to be in the correct mindset for what he calls the apologetic task. He simultaneously addresses three common attacks presuppositionalists face and breaks down their fallacies from a biblical perspective. So before I move on to this next bit, you know, we when I was talking with Joe a little bit before the show, he was um, even still just a little confused about presuppositionalism, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what that phrase actually refers to. Um, Jake and I are a little more familiar with um, Greg Bonson's works. We've listened to his sermons and, and read some of his works over the years. So we're a little more familiar with the terms that he uses. Um, but our audience might not be as familiar with the, the terms like presuppositionalism. Like, what does that mean, right? So I'm just going to boil it down 10 seconds or less. Here we go. All right. Um, presuppositional apologetics is essentially you reframing your presuppositions. Everybody comes to the table with things that they presuppose. They, they presuppose, they have preconditions uh, that they approach conversations with. We usually call that our worldview, right? But we have things that we fall back on as our ultimate authority. So when we have a question, when there's a problem that arises and we're not sure what the answer is, to find that answer, what do we usually go back to? What do we presuppose as the ultimate standard? As presuppositional apologetics, uh, as presuppositionalists, we presuppose the word of God as our ultimate standard. So we don't fall back on science. We don't fall back on human reasoning. We fall back on the word of God as our primary and ultimate standard for all of life and all questions we might have. We look at the word of God to try to answer them. And then we use the rest of the things that God has given us, like science, as tools to then dig deeper into it, right? So the the bottom, the the foundation is the Bible. And God has given us other tools on top of it. He gave us eyes. He gave us minds. He gave us logic. So we can use those tools, right? We're not denying science. We're not saying science is wrong. We're not saying don't do science. Science is vitally important. It's a tool given to us by God. He gave us this world and told us to go. Uh, 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 dominion, right? That the, To have dominion over the earth, right? And science is definitely a way of doing that, right? Bringing it, uh, reining it in. But it's a tool. It's not our ultimate standard. Our ultimate standard has to be the Bible. So does that kind of, do you think that explains presuppositionalism? I think pretty so. Well? Okay, yeah. cool. And if you still are having questions, feel free to send us an email and ask yes. us to explain it way better. We'll do that next week. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So um, so in, in this, he's setting up the conditions. 
right, to have these conversations. He simultaneously addresses three common attacks presuppositionalists will face and breaks down their fallacies from a biblical perspective. This was really exciting to me because he's kind of simulating what a conversation might look like with an atheist and what they're going to bring up as attacks towards us. So this was very fascinating stuff. So those three claims are uh, dogmatism and absolutism. We're going to get into what all of this means. So don't worry, I'm just introducing you to the phrases. Um, the ability of the secularist to attain knowledge and the lack of common ground problem. So we're going to get to those in a minute. Don't worry. <laughs> um, before I move on, though, anything either of you wants to add so that I'm not steamrolling you all? Okay. Nope. All right, cool. We're going to move right along here. Here we go. We've got a lot to chat about. Okay. Dr. Bonson spent a large amount of time throughout these chapters discussing the notion of humble boldness. And I think this was one of the most important things that he talked about. And I can't wait to go into this in more detail. Uh, but he talked about the notion of humble boldness in relation to the first objection outlined above, which is the claims of dogmatism and absolutism. <clears throat> he says that when we presuppose the word of God as being the ultimate standard and argue from that perspective, the secularist will be so taken aback that they will claim that we're being dogmatic or absolutist, right? Dogmatic is essentially saying, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what your perspective is. You're wrong because I say you're wrong. That's what dogmat being do dogmatic is. That's the definition of that, right? So, so they could claim that we're being dogmatic. And so he's going to address that. And I love the way that he addresses it. It's really, really well put. But Greg Bonson says, in a sense, that we are being absolutist since we're saying that God's word is the only true and absolute standard, right? We're kind of, in a way, being absolutist. Um, and he even said, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of that fact. We are saying this is the absolute standard because God says this is the absolute standard. So if you want to define that as absolutism, that's what it is. We are saying this is the ultimate standard. So, and we're going to get into that more in a second. But as he goes on to discuss in later chapters, we have to ensure that we are approaching our conversations with unbelievers with humble boldness, humble boldness. And this is where that verse comes into play that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. So we're going to chat more about that later. Just, just kind of framing the rest of this discussion. Okay. Um, before I move on, anything to add? No, you explain what dog, um, dogmatism. Is. Okay, good. <laughs> cool. So, uh, in my main topics, talk, talking about this, um, Mr. Bonson was saying in the book that Christians are to be bold when talking about God's word. Yes. And, and others uh, see this as us being arrogant or dogmatic yeah. or absolute. Um, and really, that, that isn't true because we're, we're presupposing that God's word is true, not our own. Yes. And so absolutist as you were saying before is possibly is, is true but but us being dogmatic and saying that what we say is true is is false because yeah. we're, we're saying god's word is true yep and and with jake going along that's kind of what i had in my notes as well we should not be afraid to be christians we should not be afraid to be bold um we were called to go make disciples out of all nations yes we, so <laughs> With us being called to, or we were commanded, not called, commanded to go making disciples out of all nations, we really are doing our job when we're, we're going to everybody and yeah. witnessing. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. Being bold. Absolutely. And we're going to get into all of that in a, in this next uh, next bit down here. So yeah, save all those awesome thoughts. We've got a lot more to chat about that. That humble boldness. Uh, okay, finally, just uh, one last thing that he talked about, broad topic. Uh, on page 31, Bonson brings up the third objection, which is the lack of common ground between the secularist who denies the word of God as his ultimate standard and the presuppositionalist who says there can be no standard apart from God's word. So um, let's see. So there was also a second objection that I skipped over accidentally because I forgot where I was. So let me go up to that. Page 31. So that was the third one I just talked about. No common ground. Here's the second one. Okay. Greg Bonson brings up the second objection. Uh, and he says, it could be said that since we believe all knowledge begins with God and his word, we have no way to account for the presence of knowledge in unbelievers and those who don't use the Bible as their ultimate standard, right? There's people out there who don't use the Bible as their ultimate standard, secularists, how can they have knowledge? How can secular scientists make the amazing discoveries that they have all throughout history? How is it that secularists can attain philosophical knowledge or understand the laws of logic or reasoning? And we'll be breaking down Bonson's answer to this question later in a bullet point. So there's a lot, lot coming up. Very exciting stuff. So those are the three main objections, right? People will claim that we are dogmatic and absolutist. People will claim, well, hold on a second. How is it possible that scientists can be secular and still understand things? And then finally, they'll also be like, well, if you only use the Bible, how can there be any common ground? How can we talk about something if I'm not using your standard and you're not using my standard? How do we discuss? There's got to be some common standard that we use to discuss things. What is that? So those are the three objections. That's what we're going to be focusing on for today. All right. So we've set up the episode. We're going to move into this. Anything you want to add before we get started? Diving in. All right. So dogmatic, uh, dogmatism and absolutism. Here we go. In chapter 8, Dr. Bonson begins to address the accusations of dogmatism and absolutism. When people try to attack presuppositionalists, they will claim that we're being arrogant or intellectually prideful. Uh, Bonson says that there have been Christians who have wrongly responded by defending arrogance, one, they'll try and defend their arrogance and claim that arrogance is acceptable or by, um, well, and there's a second defense, but I mean that first one, claiming that arrogance is acceptable. This is, we're about to completely disprove that in a second, but I mean, flat out that even on the face of it sounds insane. Like, well, I know you're, you're saying we're arrogant, but that's actually an okay thing. So it's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not... First, that's not what we're saying. And second of all, arrogance is not okay. Um, second, what Christians might incorrectly defend with, and really it's not much of a, defes uh, a, a, a defense, they might say, yeah, I did come a little close to arrogance there. Sorry about that. Sorry. Okay, maybe the Bible shouldn't be my ultimate standard. Whoopsies. Sorry, didn't mean to be arrogant there. Um, <laughs> basically apologizing for presupposing God's word above all else, which <laughs> isn't a defense at all. So those are not at all what we're talking about. Those are not adequate defenses for presuppositionalism. Well, go ahead. With that, it, you just reminded me the the fact of Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ. They're shunning us, quieting us, shunning us. Yeah, um, to stay away. We we shouldn't be um, holding our view, and they should be only holding their view. They're trying to. <laughs> yeah, that's a really. Interesting uh, take on a, a modern event, tying that in, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yep. That's what they're really doing. They're they're trying to keep us quiet. Yeah. Good uh, Good point. Good point to bring up. Um, so 
he goes on to bring up Proverbs chapter 15, verses 32 through 33, which was our verse this week. And he outlines two key takeaways from those verses that we need to remember as we converse with non-believers. So Proverbs 15, 32 through 33 says, and um, just as a reminder, here's what it says. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. That's Proverbs 15, verses 32 through 33. Dr. Bonson's first takeaway from that verse is that we must be bold in challenging, and here's his quote from page 34, we must be bold in challenging, unbelieving, and compromising epistemologies, which as we established last week, epistemology is the study of knowledge, right? And relating to the field of knowledge. What is knowledge? How can we know what knowledge is? That's epistemology. So we have to be bold in challenging unbelieving and compromising epistemologies. Later on that page, he says that the Christian, here's his quote, must communicate to those whom he contacts that repentance and faith are commanded by God. The Christian scholar must be bold here. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, which says, casting down reasonings and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God. In defending the faith, he must be firm in proclaiming. And then he quotes Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let God be found true, but every man a liar. He must point out that those who do not presuppose the truth of God's word, that their minds, uh, or to those who do not presuppose the truth of God's word, that their minds need to be renewed. And that's Ephesians chapter four, verse 23, end quote. So that was a whole quote that was up on screen. So if you're watching us, you got to read that. And that was, <laughs> there's a lot there to delve into, but we're not going to delve into every point there. But I thought that was, that was really important to mate, uh, to mention. So make note of anything you guys want to mention about that before we move on. There's a lot there. Yeah. So, so- I have a quote on this in my uh, deeper, deeper cool. thinking deeper about it. And that quote is, it is not surprising that the biblical and reformed principle of presupposing the word and authority of Christ in the world of thought and making it foundational to all, all knowledge would strike us as dogmatic or absolutic. We live in a culture which has so far... Hmm. Sorry which has for so long been saturated with the claims of intellectual autonomy and the demand for (laughs) neutrality in scholarship that is ungodly perspective has been ingrained in us. Like the supposed music of the spheres, it is so constant that we are so accustomed to it that we fail to discern it. Yes. It is so common fair and we simply expect it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That whole uh, concept of autonomy being a law unto yourself. You're the law. You're the standard, right? Yeah, it's so prevalent in our society that that it's permeated into every facet of our society that that's just what we assume. We're like, nah, how could there be an ultimate standard? It's me. I'm I'm the ultimate standard. I make all the decisions here. I am I am small g God, right? That's what we've made ourselves, worshiping the creature instead of the creator. Yeah. Great quote, Jake. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, all right, moving on. Cause I got a lot of bullet points. So I'm sorry if this is like, seems rushed, but I, I got a lot to bring up. There was a lot in these chapters. So that's why I'm moving really quickly through these. So, um, but definitely stop me if you have a question or a point to bring up. So, Will do. all right. Thanks, Joe. Joe is our advocate of the audience today. So mm-hmm. as our, as our audience advocate, stop me if you think the audience would be confused. Okay. <laughs> 
Thank you. Or overwhelmed, too. That would be good. Um, so his second takeaway is that we must have a humble mindset while entering into apologetic discussions. This is really important. We have to have a humble mindset. On page 35, he says, and here's his quote, that the Christian scholar who presupposes the truth of scripture in his intellectual endeavors, and then here's what I thought was the most important part of this quote, must be fully aware that his wisdom is not inherently his own but rests completely upon the fear of the Lord. Without that reverence, the Christian scholar would be as foolish as all other men. His wisdom is not due to superior mental ability and profoundity of insight. Instead, it has been given by God, end quote. So that's important. It's a huge quote. It's a lot there. I didn't know really how to condense that down. I didn't even know a better way to phrase that. I was just like, you know what? He phrases this so well. I'm just going to include that because, you know, we must be fully aware that our wisdom is not inherently our own, but rests completely upon the fear of the Lord. Our wisdom is not due to superior mental ability and profoundity of insight, right, of a, on our own part. Instead, it has been given to us. Any wisdom we possess, any wisdom has been given to us by God. That should humble us. It's not us. It's not from ourselves. It's God, right? That, that's, that's really important. Another thing that I can't remember, I think it was around that area, but he did point out that wisdom can be broken down into two parts. It's knowing God and knowing ourselves, I think mm. is roughly how it, it said. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But splitting and knowing god and then ourselves i think it it really is important to know who god is before we can think oh who are we it's a really good point because we are created out of god's image yes and we're so. going to focus a lot on that in a second so yeah good good point good segue there <laughs> nice very good um so this can all be summarized by his quote on page 36 that we should and here's his quote evidence a humble boldness in our confrontations with others in the world of thought. So we need to be bold, but we also need to be humble. So important to remember, combine the two, find a balance. All right, before I move on to the ability of the secularist to attain knowledge, is there anything you guys want to add to that? Um, so not, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Joe. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I don't have much on that point, but I wanted to set up the next point. So you can go cool. first, and then I'll, I'll set up the next, the, the second criticism. The, the thought process of being bold and, bold and humble, hmm. I, I can see a correlation. Maybe I have a wrong correlation. You tell me if I'm wrong. But I can see there's a reason why we are called to be salt and light. Not just salt, mm. not mm. just light. I feel like salt would be more of the humble side and the light would be more of the bold side because with the sun, you think bold, bright light. Yeah. But salt, it's kind of, it has... It's, or the other it's, way around. Salt preserves, uh -huh. right? It's, it's holding society together and that sometimes requires confrontation mm -hmm. because there's people who are wrong. So you're preserving society against evil, mm. but then you're light, you're shining, you're hopeful, People can look at you and say, wow, what God do they worship? I want to worship that God, right? Yeah, you're mm -hmm. totally, I love that. I didn't even love think of analogy. it the opposite. I was just thinking the one way, <laughs> the light, the bright beaming, it's, it's a bold light. But yeah. 
Yep. Hmm. Two different ways to see the same, indeed. same thing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that's a really good correlation because if you think of salt and you're putting salt into food, hmm. it's you, you don't taste the saltiness. You don't taste the salt itself. It's a small... Um, enhancer. Yeah, it's an enhancer. It makes other flavors bigger. And and yeah. so it's the, the salt, you're not putting the salt in there to taste the salt. You're putting mm-hmm. the salt in there to make other things bigger. And and that sort of feels like a humble aspect. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's I it's really not about it's you, it's about God. Right. right. Yeah. Take the focus yeah. off of man, mm-hmm. less of me, more of Christ. Yeah. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yep. I, I don't think the being salt or being light, I don't think it could go either way. I, I think you went, when translating, or understanding those verses, you have to take and considering both salt and light. You can't just be salt. You can't just be. Hmm. I, you have I, to be both. You have yes. to be both. Hence the uh, reason of being bold and being humble. You yes. can't just be bold. You yes. can't just be humble. You have to be both. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I'm probably saying the same thing over. No, and over, no, that was really good. Actually tying them both in. You can't have one without the other. If you're just bold, uh, you're going to be abrasive. You're going to come off as arrogant. You're going to come off as someone that nobody wants to talk to. But if you're just humble, you're going to have no impact on your community. You're not going to change things. You're not going to be salt. You're not going to preserve. But if you're bold and humble together, now you have the perfect combination, right? If I'm, if I have beautiful words and I'm super eloquent and I have all these things, but I have not love, I'm sounding brass, right? Mm -hmm. You need both. Like marriages. It can't be man and man. You can't be bold and bold. (laughs) It has to be salt and light. It has to be man and woman. Indeed. Interesting thought. Tying it in. There's there's a lot of different uh, ways to tie it in. I like it. (laughs) The Bible, you can interpret the Bible with the Bible. Indeed. And... Uh, it's it's blowing my mind right now just the different things that I <laughs> yeah. all the things that come up that yeah and it's, inter- it's a lot of it's a lot of the fact that the the secular ideology wants to either say you're <clears throat> humble or you're bold and what we're saying is let's have a combination of the two hmm. in that we yes. are humble yet and bold. bold yes mm-hmm. love it love it Awesome, awesome conversation, everybody. Um, hate to cut things a little short, but we do need to keep things rolling. So, Jake, I'll move it over to you, and uh, you can kind of set the framework for this next part. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm starting this out with a quote, but this, is, this quote comes from Chapter 9, where Mr. Bonson is setting up the argument and the claim that the, peop- the, the, criti- the critics use against presuppositional... Pre- pre- Yes. Big word. Ism. <laughs> it's it's but, a minute. Uh, boo. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is the quote. If Christian presuppositions, presuppositions are necessary to understanding, then allegedly the non-Christian cannot understand anything at all. Hmm. Yet, from what we see in the world around us and from what we read of history, it is clear that unbelievers have attained knowledge of many yes. things. Thus, it would appear that presuppositional epistemology implies something that is patently false, in which case presuppositionalism is itself <laughs> false. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So I just wanted to... Yeah, I love that ahead. quote. I love that quote. And I didn't include it because I had a lot of other quotes. So I'm, again, always glad somehow, yeah. somehow you and Joe just know instinctually what I haven't included and I want to include, and it's it's there. So, 
spot on bravo magnificent yeah. thank you um yes yeah, so that's that's perfectly setting up our next point which is the ability of the secularist to attain knowledge, which on its face seems like a major problem for us, right? As presuppositionalists trying to say, as Bonson was saying, if if our ultimate standard is the word of God and the word of God says, if you don't have the standard of the word of God as your standard, you can't have true knowledge. You can't have true wisdom. You can't know science. You can't know logic. You can't know anything without the word of God. If all of that is true, which it is because it's found in scripture, and we believe that to be true presuppositionally, then how do we account for knowledge from secular scientists? How can we say, how do we account for historians and philosophers and people like Plato and Aristotle and all of these people who seem, Einstein, um, Bill Nye, for all of his faults, does know something about science a little bit. You know, all of these people, how do they know? How do they have knowledge? Greg Bonson is about to answer that, so here we go. <laughs> All right. We as presuppositionalists assert that God's word is the ultimate standard and that no knowledge can be attained apart from him. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Some will argue that if we look at the secularists, there are some pretty intelligent people out there. How can it be that we would have scientists and seemingly intelligent thinkers in the unbelieving world? Bonson spends chapter 9 answering this very question. Here we go. On page 37, Greg Bonson says, here's his quote, the presuppositionalist claims that only his epistemological position guarantees that unbelievers can make positive contributions to the edifice of knowledge. I'm going to read that again because it took me two or three times to read of reading that for it to actually sink in. <laughs> um, the presuppositionalist claims that only his epistemological position guarantees that unbelievers can make positive contributions to the edifice of knowledge. He adds to this on page 38 and says, here's his quote, the presuppositionalist maintains that the believer can come to know certain things despite his espoused rejection of God's truth for the simple reason that he does have revealed presuppositions and cannot but have them as a creature made in God's image and living in God's created world, end quote. Dr. Bonson says that God's grace, by God's grace, the unbeliever is actually able to attain knowledge despite himself, despite his suppression of the truth, despite him knowing the truth because he's created in God's image and he was given the truth when he was created at conception. Despite that, he suppresses it and tries to deny the truth, even though it's there. But by God's grace, God allows the unbeliever by common grace, what we call common grace. It's nothing. It's not common at all. Like it's like, oh, it's just common, no, no, common as in everyone has it. It's common amongst the peoples, the general That's populace. It is amazing grace, right? <laughs> that God would allow these people to have any sort of knowledge, but because they were created in his image, he is gracious enough to allow them to have knowledge in spite of themselves, in spite of them denying his truth. He allows them to have some knowledge. On page 39, Bonson quoted Van Til when he said that the unbeliever, and here's Van Til's quote, has within him the knowledge of God by virtue of his creation in the image of God. But this idea of God is suppressed by his false principle, the principle of autonomy. And remember, autonomy in this essence means a law unto yourself. You can be your own law, right? You're autonomous. 
This principle of autonomy is, in turn, suppressed by the restraining power of God's common grace, and by the striving of the Spirit, their hostility is curbed in some measure. And as such, they can cooperate by virtue of the ethical restraint of common grace. End quote. So, I thought that was a really good answer, right? They are able to attain knowledge in spite of themselves because of God's common grace, despite of their own ignorance. And, and foolishness is the word that the Bible uses, right? In suppressing the true, pure wisdom that God gives us as, cre- as beings created in his image, they suppress that, replace it with unrighteousness, and yet God still, in his grace gives them what they don't deserve and actually allows them to attain some knowledge. So it's cool because we are created in God's image. So it, it kind of would make sense for us, even as us, as unbelievers, hmm. us as a human race, um, to have knowledge because God is all knowing. So yeah, that's how I understand. <laughs> Indeed. All right. That wraps up our second Objection. Anything you guys want to add before I move on to the next one, which is the lack of common ground problem. And this is our third and final objection to presuppositionalism. Okay, so moving on to the lack of common ground problem, right? So on page, uh, you know, actually, before I get started, Jake, you set up the nice one really, you set up, set up the nice one. You set up the last one nicely. You set it up really well. Do you want to set up this third and final one? Do you have a quote that you want to include, or should I get into it? No. Okay. All right. You set the bar for the last one, so, you know, I'm sitting here expecting some profound quote to, like, say, all right. All right. You know, okay. All right. I could could look up a quote right (laughs) now, but I probably have it highlighted, but. You probably do, and I'm sure it'll come up as we're discussing, so no, no pressure. I was just. I was just expecting it. That's all. That was totally on me. <laughs> all right. So on page 41, Dr. Bonson lays out the supposed problem of our lack of common ground with unbelievers. He says, here's his quote from page 41, allegedly, a presuppositionalist denies that there is any common ground between believers and unbelievers, and thus the apologist would have no point of contact with the unbeliever at no basis upon which he could communicate ideas, end quote. So let me just translate that to English, I guess. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. I'm confused. So what he's saying here is that we as presuppositionalists refuse to acknowledge any other standard besides the Bible as true and ultimate with uh, as ultimate authority, right? That's our standard. We're sticking to it. We're not putting it on the shelf, okay? If we did, we wouldn't be presuppositionalists and we wouldn't be following the biblical outline for apologetics. But On the other hand, the atheists refuse to acknowledge the Bible as the ultimate standard and ultimate authority, ultimate source of authority. So they say science, human reasoning, autonomy. I can be a law unto myself, right? That's their standard themselves, essentially. They've made themselves small g, God, right? So never the twain shall meet, right? You've got this over here and this over here. How do we talk to each other if either side refuses to give up their standard and come to the other side, right? What is our common ground? Here's, here's our common ground, okay? Bonson says that in order to respond to this attack, we need to know three things. And here it is. Here's the three things. He says, one, 
we need to know the God whom we, we represent. Two, we need to know the sinner to whom we speak. And three, we need to know the context in which we reason with him. So those are the three things we need to know, and Bonson's about to answer that. Before I get into those three things, though, Jake, anything you want to add, Joe? Anything you want to add? So yeah, so I... Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> so in, in our reform, it's pretty much the sin salvation service uh, acronym or thought process of we need to know who um, our sin, we need to know who saves us, and we need to know how um, to glorify God. I guess that's the... Interesting. Other. Our service, our yes, context uh, of moving forward now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like it. It's a cool perspective. It's the, the um, thing my our, our pastor likes to use. Very cool. Time. So the, whenever you wrote, read those three things, that was the first thing that clicked in my mind. Oh, these three things. Nice. Very cool. All right. Jake? Yeah. So um, I wanted to talk about in... Here's where that quote before that I should have used before. But, um, <laughs> you found it. All right. You get points. Yeah. You get yeah. points. And it's not a long quote. It's actually very short. And, and I like it because it's to the point. It's showing exactly what he's trying to say. And But I'm just going to set it up here very quickly. Cool. The argument brought up in Chapter 10 shows that using presuppositionalism creates no common ground between a believer and unbeliever. However... Mr. Bonson shows that this is not the case because there is common ground between a Christian and non-Christian. And as Mr. Bonson says in chapter 11, and I quote, but this common ground is not neutral ground. It is God's yes. ground. Yes. Bravo. Bravo. Was that the whole quote? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That, is... That's really good. Just like it's not neutral ground. It still belongs to God, even though it is the common ground between the two. Hey, even that common ground belongs to God. <laughs> is the common ground the fact that we all are sinners? We are about to get into oh, that. Hey, here hey. we go. All right, let's <laughs> delve in here. Okay, so uh, remember the three things we need to talk about. The God whom we represent, the sinner to whom we speak, and the context in which we reason with him. Okay, so first, he reminds us that God is the creator of everything, okay? Okay. All that exists was created by him and for him, okay? Since he created and sustains all things, he also rules over all things. And you can look up Psalm uh, 103, verse 19, um, which talks about that. On page 42, Bonson says, Hence, man is commanded to do everything he does to God's glory. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Even the use of our reason or minds must be according to God's direction and for his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. There can be no neutral ground between believer and unbeliever, between obedience and rebellion, between respecting and abusing that which belongs to God, i.e., everything. Uh, and then he quotes Matthew 6, chapter tw- or, uh, Matthew 6, 24, which says, no man can serve two masters. And then also Matthew 12, 30, which says, he that is not with me is uh, against me. So again, getting back to Jacob's quote about no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. Either you're with God or you are against God. Um, so on page 43, Bonson asserts that there, and here's his quote, there is an ever-present common ground between the believer and and unbeliever. All men have in common the world created by God, controlled by God, and constantly revealing 
God, end quote. Um, before I go on to my next point, anything that you want to add, Jake or Joe, don't want to steamroll over that. Any thoughts? Any? Okay. All right. Very cool. I, and I appreciate you all helping me with the time constraint, like keeping things like quick and to the point. We just have so much to get through. So <laughs> there's so up. much in these chapters. I'm trying. I'm trying. Joe. I'm sorry. All right. Pressure's on. Here we go. I feel like I'm in one of those Four like those left. pressure cookers and I'm like, ah. all right, here we go. In chapter 11, Dr. Bonson moves on to discuss his second point uh, that we need to know the sinner to whom we speak, okay? So beginning this discourse on page 45, he says, here's his quote, the fall of man had drastic results in the world of thought. Even the use of man's reasoning, uh, reasoning ability becomes depraved and frustrating, end quote. Um, and now all men, and then this is, uh, let's see, this is Romans chapter one, verse 18, all men unrighteously suppress the truth in order to embrace the lie. Again, Romans chapter 1, 18. So suppressing the truth unrighteously in order to embrace the lie. Continuing his thought on page 46, he says, Satan has blinded the, ma- the minds of men. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, if you wanted to look that up. Man uses his reasoning not to glorify God and advance his kingdom, but to rise up in arrogant opposition to the knowledge of God. And that's chapter, or that's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. So I would encourage you to look that up as well. And that's the end of his quote. This darkening of the mind... That, that Bonson is talking about here as a result of sin affects the way that we are able to debate with unbelievers. So it, it has an effect on this and we need to be, we need to be aware of that. Bonson outlines this on page 46 when he says, and here's his quote, we cannot aim to find common ground in the unbelievers interpretation or self-conscious understanding of things, whether they be the laws of logic, the facts of understanding or the experiences of human personality. So what he's saying there is we cannot aim to find common ground in the unbeliever's interpretation of this, right? So that, that's where we can't find it. Here's where we can, okay? Continuing, he says the unbeliever, well, actually, I'm sorry. What he's doing here is this is still point number two. So my bad. This is not yet completely addressing, but he has to set the whole precedent, the framework around this, frame the question so that we can deliver the answer properly in the right context. But continuing, he says the unbeliever has an incorrect diagnosis of his situation and of his own person. He takes himself to be the reference point for all interpretation of the facts. That is, he has epistemologically become a law unto himself. Autonomous, end quote. That's what we've been saying this whole time, right? Autonomy, a law unto yourself. Okay. Bonson wraps this up nicely on page 47 when he says, however, and here it is, is the answer we've been waiting this whole time for. However, in denying common ground, in the area of the non-Christian's autonomous interpretation of experience, the presuppositionalist does not teach that he has no point of contact with the unbeliever. They are both the creaturely image of God. Dr. Bonson ends chapter 11 by stating that presuppos- presuppositionalism holds that there is a very def- definitely uh, that there is very definitely a realm of common ground between believers and unbelievers. Ground that is metaphysical in nature, but that common ground is not neutral ground. And this was Jacob's point from earlier. So it's common ground that atheists would not want to admit. Exactly. Yeah. It's common ground that we are all creatures created in the image of God. That we are on an earth that we all share as 
created beings of God, and that we are all working on this earth as people still in society together, right? We, we have this earth in common. We have the things that God has created for all of us. That's why we have common grace. We have common grace as well, the common knowledge that's shared as well. So there is a lot of common ground. And when we approach the conversation with that in mind, it changes the way that we're going to discuss things with the atheist. And we're going to get into a lot more of this later. So like right now, this kind of seems vague. It's like, okay, what does that mean? It changes it. What, what does that impact? We're going to get into that. Don't worry. Bonson likes to take things kind of slowly. So, because <laughs> there are so many aspects to delve into and there's so much scripture that relates to all of this that if we, if we went as quickly through it as maybe some of us might like, we would gloss over so much important stuff that we really can't miss. So a lot of this is good to kind of reiterate and maybe rewatch and maybe listen to again and reread some of these things because this is, this is fundamental stuff that we need to lay out before we can start applying it. However, it's not to say we can't apply any of this. And that's what our next section is about. I have two bullet points that relate that are applicable things that we can take tomorrow or today. Actually, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, take it today. Um, <laughs> um, and, and actually apply this in your conversations. Okay, so before I go on, anything you guys want to add? Okay. All right. So um, moving on, we have uh, two application points. So <clears throat> we have, don't forget that our theme is effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us, right? These two points, I believe, relate directly to that theme. And these are the key takeaways. We need to remember this from all that we talked about. It's a lot of complicated stuff. Remember these two things. In my opinion, these were the most important. My first application topic is the humble boldness that Bonson discussed all throughout chapter eight. The main thrust of this chapter was that as Christians, we are called to be bold in defending our faith. That's uh, Romans chapter three, verse four. Let God be true and every man a liar. Um, and Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. But at the same time, so obviously that's calling us to a lot of boldness, be very bold. But at the same time, we need to humble ourselves, be humble in our perspective towards others and God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. This is not you. This is not from you. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Which was our verse this week, right? So, we need to remember this. Any wisdom or knowledge that we possess is not from us. Uh, Bonson states this well on page 35 when he says, The Christian scholar has nothing to boast of in himself. He must be humble before the world, acknowledging that his knowledge depends upon the gracious work of God in him. So humble boldness. And we've, we've really, really hit that hard this episode. So hopefully that's, that's one of the big takeaways you get from this episode is humble boldness. Anything you want to add before I move on to my last point? Yeah. Jake, and, take and it away. And this is really just reiterating uh, that, that one verse specifically, but 
uh, I wanted to touch on the quote found in chapter 8, which shows us that we are to be bold in defending our uh, defending of the faith, as Mr. Bonson says, and I quote, In defending the faith, he must be firm in proca- proclaiming, let God be found true in every man a liar. Yep. And and I think this is the perfect verse. And I, you you have the scripture reference for it. Yep. Um, yeah, that's Romans. That uh, Romans. Yeah, hold on. Romans 3, 3 4. 4. Yep. Yeah. And I think this really shows that humble boldness that we're talking about. Yeah. And in that, let God be found true. In mm. that, we are to be bold in proclaiming God's word. And every man a liar. We yes. are inherently liars, <laughs> and we are we are this man that is being talked about here. Yes, every man a liar, and and so we are bold in proclaiming what God says, but humble in the fact that we are the ones proclaiming it. Yes, yes, yep, and and I think a big part of that what that reference relates to is you know when we come to a cross a cross point right a, a T in the road if you will between, okay, wait a minute, man is saying this one thing, God's word says this other thing, where do I go? What do I do? Like, man says, you know, a, a, a dude can pretend to be a woman, and that's okay. And God says, goodness, no, that's an abomination. Where do I go? You know, like, that one's pretty obvious. It's an abomination. No, that's not okay. But in those, you know, let every man who goes against God, let every man be a liar and... um. God be true. Let God be true and every man a liar, right? Yep. All right. Moving on to my final point. Unless, Joe, you had something to add. No. Cool. All right. Here we go. <laughs> my second point is related to the ability to uh, of unbelievers to still grasp some semblance of wisdom and knowledge, even though they are attempting to be a law unto themselves, autonomy, right? We need to remember in our conversations with unbelievers that they, like us, Like us, they are created in the image of God. And while they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, God has made the truth about himself plain to them. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 19. They know the truth, but instead seek to suppress this truth in unrighteousness. This common grace adds a new perspective to our discussions, and we need to keep it in mind as we give answers for the hope that lies within us. Anything to add? All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been great. Uh, really good discussions. And yep, this episode is going to be a longer one because, oh my goodness, it is so hard to condense some of this stuff down. But if you've listened or watched us up until this point, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Go to trdshow.net and sign up for an account with us. You can start earning points towards free merch. Grab yourself a free t-shirt, free stickers, free mug, like this, you know, kind of kind of cool looking mug right here. Got our logo. We got some cool, you know, text right here. You know, who wouldn't want a Reformed Dissenters mug, right? And shirts. And shirts and stickers and hoodies. Well, not yet, but we've got hoodies in the works. So, um, yeah, grab yourself some free merch. Go to crosspolitic.com slash Liberty Tour and sign up for our event on April 7th in Rapid City, South Dakota. We'd love to see you here. Hosted by the Reform Dissenters, but we've got all sorts. We've got Larry Elder, Gary DeMar, all sorts of really cool people. Um, there's going to be a live show at 7, so even if you can't make it to the event, you can still watch it live on Cross Politics website. So definitely heads up for that. Um, follow us on Getter, G-E-T-T-R dot com slash user. 
uh, slash TRD show and follow us on Gab. And uh, you can do that by going to gab.com, um, gab.com slash TRD show. And that's where you will find our Gab page. We've got all sorts of cool stuff there. It's where we post our episode every week. We post our verse image. That's where we post the first or the, the uh, verse um, picture. I just said the verse image. So what I meant to say was the picture for the book. That's what I meant to say. Follow us on our Gab page. All sorts of cool stuff. And we will see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord.